Our topic this week, out of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, Sabbath reform. And we'll be picking up in verse 15, in those days, because uh, we looked at the first 14 verses uh, in another week, not necessarily directly related, but uh, in both these cases we see that Nehemiah, uh, after the first 12 chapters, the first 12 chapters really just take place within a few months of time, from chapter 1 to chapter 12, all about uh, Nehemiah leaving uh, Persia and coming to Jerusalem and, and working with building the walls up around Jerusalem and all the problems and difficulties they had with that and then finally uh, coming to pass. And then they had 12 years of nothing being written in the book of Nehemiah. So we go from chapter 12 to chapter 13 with a 12-year break in the middle and nothing's written. Most likely because nothing wrong was taking place. So the first chapter, 12 chapters with lots of different problems taking place, lots is written, and then it's quiet, so nothing, Nehemiah doesn't write anything down for 12 years, and then he goes back to Persia for a certain uh, short period of time, doesn't tell us how long, it just said for a certain amount of days, certain days, and then he comes back to Jerusalem, and he finds there were problems, and so he decides to write about it. And so we have chapter 13. And so we have the first problems in the first 14, first problem in the first 14 chapters dealing with uh, uh, a Kohen inviting an uh, Ammonite, to, uh, an enemy of Israel, to come and live even within the temple courts and giving him a room, taking out all the tithe and offerings meant for the Levites and giving him that room where all that was stored. And so Nehemiah sets that straight. Uh, the people had stopped giving because it was being misused and Nehemiah sets that straight, the people start giving again, the Levites go back to work, and the ministration of God's work continues. And then picks up in verse 15 with problem number two that he faced when he came back. And so in those days, in the days of him coming back to Jerusalem and finding these problems, it says, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. So he's warning them that it's the Sabbath, you shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath. And who is he warning? Who is this that's bringing in the, the trading, uh, the wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in sheaves, carrying wine and, and grapes and figs? Who's doing that? Right, the children of Judah, the believers, the children of Judah. So it's the people, the lay people, the farmers. He sees them doing this work, and so he reminds them that it is the Sabbath day. Then verse 16, And men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And so from Tyre in the north, today's Lebanon, they're bringing uh, fish, and they come and they are selling there, and so whether they come to faith or not, they're doing this on the Sabbath, so they're not practicing the faith if they were believers, but they were from, again, up in Tyre, and they come down, they're not from the tribes of Israel, and they're just selling, they're just using this as a marketplace, and it's good business, and so they continue uh, doing so. Now with fish, uh, you know, fish will spoil, right? So fish will spoil real quick, and bringing it all the way from whether up in Tyre or, or even from anywhere in the Mediterranean would be uh, quite a haul in that day and time 
to get it to Jerusalem to market and then to be able to sell it. So if they had left over on Friday, it's not going to last till Sunday. It would start to smell. Now, they did have a way to keep fish from smelling back then. You know how that was, how they kept fish from smelling? They'd cut off the noses, and then the fish couldn't smell anymore. All right, so that's how they, that was their method of doing that. It works still today if you want to try that. But, uh, but other than that, they didn't have ice at this time. They're, they're, they're harvesting. It's harvest time, so it's not winter, so they probably don't have ice or cold weather available to, to be able to keep these cold, maybe put them you know, underground, or certainly they could dry them out. Uh, but if they're fresh, then they want to sell it every single day. It's fresh fish. And so they could reason that out. They can try and justify that. But uh, it's, Nehemiah is not buying that. And so then, verse 17, so the, so the fish, that's the men of Tyre. Right? So we've got men of Judah, people of Judah, farming, and now we have the men of Tyre. But then in verse 17, it says, Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do, by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did your fathers do this? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Now why does he bring that to the nobles? If it's the farmers and the, the people of Judah that are treading the wine presses and breathing in the sheaves and, and uh, bringing in, carrying figs and juice and, and grapes. And the men of Tyre, they're selling the fish and the, men, and the children of Judah are buying the fish. Why does he go to the nobles? Why does he contend with the nobles? They're in charge. That's right. He's holding them accountable for what the people are doing. They left them in charge to keep an eye and to maintain order and to help and be an example and to lead the people. And so he's holding them accountable as well. So he reminded the, the farmers and now he's contending with them and reminding them that this is what caused us to end up in Babylon to begin with. That's what caused the walls to get knocked down to begin with. That's what caused us to be able to lose Jerusalem and the temple to be destroyed was our disobedience to God. And the indication here where he's bringing it in with the Sabbath was that was one of the issues of breaking the Sabbath, which brought about Babylon coming in and being able to destroy God's work and hinder God's work. And then after 70 years in Babylon, we were allowed to come back, and then it took 100 years to get to the point where we're at. We finally built the walls again. We've had the temple, and we're worshiping again, and we have the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins pointing forward to the Messiah. We have walls to protect us. We have gates to protect us. And now we're making the same mistake again. We're going to get the same results again. We're going to have the same calamity again. Because if we disobey God, if we turn our back on God, then we're turning to the devil. And then we become open prey for him. And that reasoning still applies for us. And that message still applies to us as well. Verse 19, I commanded the gates of Jerusalem to be shut as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, and I charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. So he sets up this regulation. He has the, the gates now shut, the gates that he helped hang, the gates that he oversaw that work, that were meant to keep the enemies out, the physical enemies out of Jerusalem. 
He's now having them be shut to keep the children of Judah in. And to keep the spiritual evil out. The Sabbath breaking. Now, he didn't do that for 12 years. They had these gates for 12 years at this point. Why didn't he have to do that for these 12 years? Why is he only having to do that now? Because for those 12 years, they weren't buying on the Sabbath day. They weren't selling on the Sabbath day. They weren't treading the wine press on the Sabbath day. They weren't carrying the, the harvest and bringing in the harvest on the Sabbath day. And so when we're walking in obedience, we don't need a schoolmaster over us reminding us and chastising us and telling us that we're in disobedience. But it doesn't mean that the Sabbath law didn't apply those 12 years. It applied, as all the other laws applied. But when we're walking in obedience to them, we don't have to be reminded all the time and have provisions put in to keep us from breaking God's laws. Now, even with the gates shut, were they able to break God's Sabbath? Even with Nehemiah assigning his servants to be guarding the gates? He maybe didn't trust anyone else. He has his own servants assigned to this. Were people able to break the Sabbath? With the gates shut now? Yeah, they certainly could. Because more of a mental than the actual physical. Right? They could be breaking their homes. They could be stuck in their homes. They could be limited to their homes. You could lock them in their homes if you wanted to. And if they chose to dream about wishing they were out there working the field or worrying about the field or worrying about is the fish going to be okay tomorrow or uh, plotting in their minds, as Yeshua said, even if we lust with our eyes, we've committed adultery. And so the same principle is here. But he put these provisions in to help the people because the people are acting like children. And when we have young children, we have to put guards around them. We have to put them in play pens and keep them from getting hurt, from running out in the street. We have to guard them more. And as they mature, you give them more and more freedoms. Right? You let them go out and play in, in the yard. You let them go outside. You let them ride the bicycle on the sidewalk. Right? You give them more and more freedoms. But then if they ride the bicycle on a busy road, you take that privilege away from them. Right? They lose freedoms. We lose freedoms when we, get, when we are disobedient. Right? It's not by removing the rules that gives freedom. It's not the parent saying, oh yeah, you can go break your neck. You know, oh yeah, you can go run into a car. You know, oh, that's okay. No, it's not the removing of the restrictions that gives us freedom. It's being in harmony with the rules and the laws that give us true freedom. It's when we're immature that we have to be reminded and provisions put up. And so here, Nehemiah does this and he puts this, this, uh, this rule in, in, in place, putting a guard, an extra guard on the Sabbath rules. And we see that then becomes a habit and then they end up doing that, doing that more and more. And then we end up with, with the Talmud and all these extra restrictions on how far they can walk on the Sabbath day and exactly what they can do on the Sabbath day and what they can carry or not carry and all these kind of rules and laws that when Yeshua comes along, he sees them multiplying all these man-made laws and trying to enforce these man-made laws and lost the purpose, the real spirit of 
God's laws. It wasn't so much about not doing what on, on Sabbath. It was about spending time with God on Sabbath. And so he tried to bring us back into true Sabbath keeping as well as all the rest of the laws, but we see that becomes a contention. They, they accused him of Sabbath breaking. Now, if Yeshua was a Sabbath breaker as he was accused, could he have been? Could he have been a Sabbath breaker? And still been the Messiah? No. So obviously their accusations of his Sabbath breaking was of breaking their own rules, not breaking God's Sabbath rule, God's Sabbath principles that God laid out for us. Very simply, in the Ten Commandments, very short little paragraph there, less than a paragraph, of what it is to keep God's Sabbath holy and to, accept, and to respect it and to remember it. And so Yeshua certainly lived that out. He fully kept it and he demonstrated how we can fully live it out, how it can be fulfilled in our lives. And so he came to demonstrate that. And it's not in putting up all these rules and regulations. Now, Nehemiah did that and he was doing it for the true Sabbath day. But it's not God's ideal. He wants us to obey in spirit and in truth. Not by the letter, not by the exact details, but in our heart that we walk in the truth of God's laws, in the truth of God's spirit. And the spirit does not negate the words. The spirit of the law is higher than the letter of the law. And again, that example I just gave, what Yeshua said, the letter of the law is not to commit adultery. The spirit of the law is not to lust with our eyes. The spirit of the law is a higher standard than the letter of the law. And when we're working in the letter of the law, if a person's not lusting with their eyes, they're not coveting with their heart, then would they steal? Would they commit adultery? If they're fulfilling the spirit of the law to not covet, to not lust, then they won't break the letter of the law either. And so here, Nehemiah is having to make the letter of the law that much clearer and add letters to the law to close the gates and have people assigned to the gates because of our immature walk with the Lord. As we grow in the Lord and grow closer to the Lord and grow in spirituality, it does not lessen the law. It upholds the law. And we keep it even more fully without having to be reminded by others and scolded by others as Nehemiah is having to do here. This is a demonstration of their immaturity in the walk with the Lord. So it's a sad moment for them in history. Verse 20, the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So they tried, they hung out, let's see if Nehemiah really means it, so they, the doors are shut, maybe he'll get tired of those doors being shut, maybe the people will rebel, maybe they'll sneak out, and so they're out there, they're still putting their, their fish out there, and they're, and they're selling out there, trying to sell out there. And then Nehemiah says, and I warned them, and I said, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. And from that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. Nehemiah was a man of action. They knew he meant it. If it would take physical force, he was willing to use physical force to maintain the Sabbath peace from that setting. So while he needed here a 
laws, a government laws enforcing. I was one is under theocracy, but that's not ideal. That's not God's desire. And today we're not under a theocracy. No nation is under a theocracy. And to try and to enforce God's morality, you can't force morality. Again, they could sin with their minds. So we should not have government regulations regarding morality, regarding God's laws. We can have laws to maintain civility in society that sometimes overlap, like not killing and not stealing. But you can't regulate loving God. You can't regulate loving your neighbor. You can't regulate not coveting. You can't regulate honoring your parents. And those that will try to do so and has been done in history past would not be from God. Verse 22, And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves, that they should guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. And so he has the Levites go out. And he gives them this assignment. To cleanse themselves, to go through the mikveh, and to sanctify the Sabbath. Well, how can they be sanctifying the Sabbath if they're working on the Sabbath? If they're there as guards guarding the Sabbath... because they're doing good on the Sabbath day. They're doing God's work on the Sabbath day. But it's unfortunate, again, because it's taking them away from being able to lead in the singing and the worship experience and the teaching. But because of the immaturity of the, kid, of the children of Judah, they're having to babysit the city, and hopefully for just a short time, until the people get back in the habit, back in the routine, and back in choosing to obey the Sabbath. And then they don't have to have guards at the doors and they don't have to worry about coming because if the men of Tyre keep coming and selling their fish or trying to sell their fish, but nobody's buying it, how long are they going to stay there? Even much shorter than with the gates locked, right? After one week, they'll say, no one's buying, let's get out of here. We can't have another week of no sales. And they'll get the message. And that's the level God wants to bring us up to, where we don't need God hanging over us throwing the stones down at us, but that we want to and choose to and by God's grace walk in his light, walk in his word. Isaiah chapter 58, starting verse 12, is written hundreds of years before Nehemiah. There's a passage which I believe speaks right to this section of the book of Nehemiah chapter 13. And describes Nehemiah. I believe Isaiah was prophesying Nehemiah in these very verses we're going to read. It's pretty amazing. Again, hundreds of years in advance. Let's take a look at it and see if you agree. Oops, verse 12. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. And if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, and then we'll get more into that, but we're seeing hurry in these two verses. It's describing somebody who's going to come from among the children of Israel, who's going to build up old waste places, build up places that were once built up before, that have become old, that have become waste places, 
It's going to raise up the foundations, the very foundations that were for many generations old. It's going to repair the breach, the holes, and restore the streets to be able to dwell in safely. And also ties in with the Sabbath, with keeping people from turning their foot away from obeying the Sabbath. That's exactly what we're seeing in this chapter. That's exactly what we've seen in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was used to do those very things. He was a restorer of the foundations. He was a repairer of the holes in the walls. He was a building up on the foundations and building the gates on. And now in this chapter, we see him also restoring the Sabbath to the people. Because it wasn't so much the building the walls that was what Nehemiah's job was. It was the building up the people. The city, not the physical city, but the people, the city. And bringing them in harmony with God is a very important, vital part of having a stable, happy city of God. So it's an amazing chapter, amazing verses. And continues on, verse 13. So if you turn your foot away from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your, your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills on the er of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Calling the Sabbath a delight. You know the Hebrew word for delight? What's the Hebrew word there for delight? Oneg. Oneg Shabbat. How you call the Sabbath an Oneg, right? So we do Oneg Shabbat, we delight together, we fellowship together, we eat together, we talk together. That is the delight of the Sabbath. And so he says, if you call the Sabbath a delight, two times he uses that term there. Delightful day. A wonderful day. Honorable. And honoring God on that day. He says, not doing your own pleasure. He says that twice. So what does that mean? That shouldn't be a pleasurable day? That should be a miserable day? But then how will it be a delight if we're not doing our own pleasure? The key is there, not our own pleasure. Not the pleasure of this world, not the pleasure of the carnal nature, not doing what the world says is pleasurable, thinks is pleasurable, with its demoralizing influence, with its empty, wasted, unfulfilling, unsatisfying acts and desires and habits and routines. Not the pleasures of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, but finding God's delight. And that comes with a transformed heart. The carnal heart finds pleasure in the things of this world, in the things of the flesh. But only for a short time. And you have the hangover the next morning or the unwanted pregnancy or all other kinds of problems and with uh, bankruptcy because of gambling and, and no self-control. That so-called pleasure, short-lived pleasure, addicted to lottery and arguing and fighting and frivolity that leaves people empty, longing for more and desiring more. 
He takes that heart and he gives us a purified heart that finds delight in spending time with God, that finds delight in resting on his Sabbath day, enjoying that time with him. The carnal mind finds that as a drudgery to take a day off, to be with God. But when we're in the Lord's presence, when we've surrendered to him, when we're filled with his spirit, we find it a delight to honor him, to come into his presence, to spend time with him. And it should be, I mean, that would make sense. You know, if your boss came to you and said, look, this, this coming Wednesday, we have to do repairs on the factory, and so everybody's going to have a day off. You'd say, wonderful, great, that's terrific. I'm going to go and go fishing or go spend some time with my family or go do something, right? Spend the day, get the day off. Boss says so. God gives us 52 days off a year. We should call it a delight and honor him with it. And then does this sound miserable that he'll cause us to ride on the high hills of the earth? That he raises us up? Does it sound like the Sabbath is a bad thing? A drudgery that he's given to us? A restriction that he's given to us? He'll feed us with the heritage of Jacob? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good promise. And no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so if the Sabbath is a good thing because we find it a delight, we are raised up on high hills of the earth, we are, inherit, we are fed on the inheritance of Jacob, to be a blessing to all the earth, to be multiplied, it's a blessing. And so with it being a blessing, God won't withhold it from us. How strange the majority of professed believers say, oh no, God doesn't want us to have that anymore. That, that was a bad thing. He freed us from that. That was old. That's done away with. That was only for certain people. That was only for the Jews. That's the Jews' Sabbath. Even though it was there in creation and given to Adam and Eve, and that God blessed it and God rested on it and God hallowed it. Oh, it was a bad thing. We don't need that anymore. And that means we also don't get to delight ourselves in the Lord. It means we don't get to ride on the high hills of the earth. It means we don't get to feed on the heritage of Jacob. Because that comes with calling the Sabbath a delight and entering into his presence on that. And so that applies not only to Nehemiah's day, it applies to our day as well. God wants to make us repairers of the breach. There is a hole in God's word. There's a hole in God's walls. He will accept nine of the commandments, but then leave a hole there in the fourth one. And God wants us to repair that hole, to seal that hole, to build up that wall, to put up that gate, to restore the foundations, to restore the Ten Commandments to its rightful place, to restore the Sabbath to its rightful place. Sabbath one is the one that points us to God as the giver of the law, points us to God as the creator. None of the other commandments point out exactly why we should obey them. Thou shalt not covet. Who says I shouldn't covet? Thou shalt not kill. Who says I shouldn't kill? I shall honor your father and your mother. Who says so? The Sabbath commandment says he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Who says so? That's why he has a right to say so. He knows what's best. And demonstrated it by creating the earth in six days and then himself resting on the Sabbath day. 
him wanting to spend that time with Adam and Eve. He could have made a six-day week. He finished the earth in six days. He could have gone into the second week. But he wanted a day to spend with Adam and Eve. He wants a day in the week to spend with you and me. He created it that way and set it up that way so we can delight in him and find joy and pleasure in him. In two chapters ahead of this, in Isaiah chapter 56, it says, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Yeshua quotes that portion of the passage. God's house being a house of prayer for all nations. So the foreigners here, so for the children of Israel and foreigners who unite themselves, who are grafted into the olive tree, who call on the name of the Lord, who love the name of the Lord, who serve him, are his servants. And then of all the Ten Commandments, it mentions the Sabbath, who keep from defiling the Sabbath and hold fast my covenant. Why he picked that one here to mention for the foreigners to be able to enter into that covenant, to be made joyful, to bring up to the holy mountain, for their sacrifices to be accepted, I don't know, but that's the one he chose to mention right here. That keep from defiling the Sabbath. Maybe because many nations have not kill, not steal. But this one specifically points out Many gods would want to be that no other gods before them. Even religions that have multiple gods would still have one god that's the chief god, that's the high god, that's above all the gods. But none can claim to be the creator god. None can claim to breathe their ruach into mankind and create us to be our Lord to be our Heavenly Father, to know all things, to be over all the universe. So maybe that's why he pointed this one out, because he is the God, the creator of Jew and Gentile, together to unite us together as one. And that oneness can be demonstrated in observing the Sabbath and loving him with all our hearts and holding fast his covenant sign of the covenant it's a sign of the promise it's a sign of completion of the creation and he makes us joyful does that sound horrible does that sound like misery he makes us joyful does that sound like a burden that he's laid on us no paul says is or john says uh, that god's laws are not burdensome they're a joy they're a joy when we're keeping them in the lord's strength not in our own strength they're a burden when we try and obey them in our own power. Oh, then they're a drudgery. It's horrible trying to keep God's laws in our own power. But when we confess our carnal nature, our desire for the pleasures and lusts of this world, and allow him to forgive us and cleanse us, and allow him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, give us his mind, his heart, write his laws into our hearts and into our minds, and cause us to obey them, then it's a joy. 
It's a joy to enter into the presence of the Lord. And if sacrifices will be accepted, the Messiah's blood sacrifice will be accepted. Then God's house becomes a house of prayer for all. United together, in harmony together, in unity together. In the same chapter, chapter, Isaiah chapter 56, verse 2. Happy is the man who does this, the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now some versions have it as blessed, but it's not baruch, that's the word there, it's ashray. Like uh, Asher, one of the tribes of Israel, one of the sons of Israel. Happy. Happy is the man who does this. Joyful, delighting. Are those good words? Riding high on the mountains of Israel, on the earth, receiving the heritage of Jacob. Those are good, good things. And God connects them with keeping the Sabbath. Shomrei Shabbat. Guard Guardians of the Sabbath. Shomrim, guardians of the Sabbath. We guard the Sabbath. As Nehemiah guarded the Sabbath with the gates being shut, God calls us to shut the gates of our mind, of our ears, of our eyes, to defiling the Sabbath, defiling God's temple. Turn our foot away from our own pleasure, even that could mean our own livelihood, our, our, our earnings that we that we earn our, like we say, our livelihood. What's your livelihood? What do you do for a profession? What do you earn your living with? And so turning our foot from that, turning our, our actions away from earning our living one day a week, because it's a step of faith. That God will be able to provide for us if we don't, even if we don't work seven days a week and try and keep up with the rat race. That God will be able to bless us anyway as we dedicate one day to him, the seventh day to him. So we'll be happy and delightful if we do it by God's power through God's spirit and rest in him, truly rest in him. And resting is a good thing. Exodus, or Ezekiel rather, chapter 20, verse 12. I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Again, out of all the commandments he could have claimed there, out of all the Ten Commandments he could have claimed, this is the one that Ezekiel says is the sign between us and God that demonstrates that God is the sanctifier of us. Why he chose that one? Not exactly sure. But that's the one he chose. As an outward sign that could be seen that we are, again, Shomrei Shabbos. Keepers of the Sabbath. Guarders, guardians of the Sabbath. That God sanctifies us. God makes us holy sanctifying, making us holy. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So he justifies us, he calls us as if we've never sinned because of his sacrifice for us, because of what Yeshua did for us, without us, before we were born, without our permission, him dying for the sins of the world. And we receive the benefit of that, the forgiveness of past mistakes, 
past disobedience because of his sacrifice received through confession and repentance. But then he sanctifies us also. So he saves us from the punishment of the past sins and then he sanctifies us and saves us from continuing in those sins through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is the Lord who sanctifies us. It's the Lord who died for us. It's the Lord who forgave us. And it's also the Lord who empowers us. Because we accept his sacrifice and then try and be good on our own strength and our own strength and our own power. Then it's us trying to sanctify, us trying to make ourselves holy, us trying to make ourselves obedient. And that's misery. And then people conclude, well, it can't be done. So maybe God doesn't want us to be obedient. And that's not right logic. It can't be done in our own strength. But when we believe God's promise that he is the Lord who sanctifies us, he is the Lord who makes us holy, he is the Lord who gives us a delight, if the Holy Spirit comes into us and the Holy Spirit brings us into God's presence, then we will find his laws a delight. We'll find them joyful. We'll ride high on his mountains of the earth that we will receive and feed on his inheritance. And we will be repairers of the holes in the walls of God's word. In Psalm 119, 126, it says, It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. And that's kind of what Nehemiah saw. He came back and he saw they were regarding God's law as void. And so he acted. Nehemiah was a man of action. But here the psalmist David is prophesying a time when they're going to declare God's law as void. I believe he was seeing down to our day. We're popularly taught that God's law is void. It's old. It's done away with. Been nailed to the cross. It's not necessary anymore. God has replaced it with something new and different. They've made it void. Or they'll change it, or they'll try and alter it. And it doesn't matter what day, as long as one day, and alter what it specifically says, the seventh day. A memorial to the creation. That God has done it, that God has created us. That God has sanctified us. Not our own man-made devising, our own man-made day, our own plans. They're going to declare it void, thus they can change it. That is not necessary. And God will have to act. God will have to step in. And God will bring his judgment on the earth. And so back to Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 22. Nehemiah says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of of your mercy. Interesting, he says, remember me. Because the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, starts with remember. Remember the Sabbath day. And maybe God had to put that in there, remember, because maybe because people would forget it. God knew that people would forget it. They trample it underfoot. They'd ignore it. Go about their own pleasures on God's holy day. On God's holy sign his sign of his sanctifying us. The devil has a sign too, it's called a mark. Similar term, sign, mark. Mark of the beast. 
and it's in direct contrast to God's sign. God's sign is obedience in harmony with his word, with his Sabbath. The devil's mark is disobedience against God, making his law void. God's sign, he'll write his laws in our forehead and in our hands. We'll choose to do it and we will obey it. The devil's mark is also in the hand and in the forehead. Either choosing to disobey or physically disobeying. Again, you can tie the hands. Nehemiah was able to close the gates, but they could still sin with their mind. Thus, God wants to write it in our minds and in our hands and in our heart. That we choose to do it. That we love to do it. And that we physically do it. Obedience to God by his power, by his grace, by his strength. And so Nehemiah cries out, remember me, O God, concerning this, these last few verses, concerning this, bringing them back into harmony with the Sabbath. Remember me, may they remember, maybe that's what he meant by praying, remember, may they remember to keep your Sabbath holy. May they continue to keep it holy. And it seems that they did because we don't have record of it being broken again basically for another 400 years. They go to the other extreme and start adding laws onto it. But it doesn't seem that Sabbath breaking, making it void was a problem. They remembered and answered God, Nehemiah's prayer. And remember, O my God, concerning this and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Spare me from opposition. Spare me from the rejection of your truth. And no doubt the men of Tyre and maybe some of the nobles and maybe some of the people weren't so happy with it. So he prayed, remember me and spare me according to your great mercy. Remember me, O God, concerning this. And God, may God remember us and make us repairers of his breach. Now we will not fall for the worship of the beast. And again, the key there is worship. Seven times it mentions worship in Revelation in relation to the beast. The mark of the beast is not some code or some physical thing. It has to do with worship. The issue at the last day is going to be worship. Who are we worshiping? Are we worshiping the Creator? Are we worshiping the Lord God? Or are we worshiping our own man-made devisings? It's going to be worship. All the world will worship the beast. It's going to be a religious revival or false religious revival of worshiping. But it won't be worshiping the way God laid out. And so God set the Sabbath there, there for us as a sign to make a distinction between those who are following him, those who've chosen him, those who believe in his creation and recreation, giving us a new heart and new minds and new lives. Demonstrating that he is the one who has sanctified us and give us the ability not to go along with the things of this world, not our own ways, not our own pleasures, not our own devisings, but to walk in his ways. And so as we prepare and pray tonight and think on these things, May we remember them as well. And if the Sabbath has been a theological thought in your mind, and maybe tonight 
We're looking at it theologically. Does God want us to keep the Sabbath? We've seen many verses there reinforcing that over and over again. There's so many more we could have looked at and quoted. Many, many more. Yeshua kept the Sabbath. Paul kept the Sabbath. All throughout the scriptures, from creation on, it says, in the new heavens and new earth, we will worship God from one Sabbath to another. There's lots of texts we could have looked at on the theology of the Sabbath, but this has been enough to help you to see that God's Sabbath is still important, that God wants it to be honorable, that he wants us to honor it and keep it holy. If you want to choose in your mind, theologically, to accept God's Sabbath, that's been something you struggled with and want to accept now, then the moment when we pray, choose to accept God's Sabbath in your heart and in your mind. Secondly, if the Sabbath has been something you, you know is right, but with your hands you haven't been obeying it. Like the children of Judah, they, Judah, they knew which day was the Sabbath day. But they were still bringing in the grapes and the, and the, and the figs and the sheaves and treading the wine press and buying the fish. And so with their hands, with their actions, they were not obeying. And if tonight there's been some area of your life, Sabbath breaking or some of the other laws, you've broken one, you've broken them all, where you haven't been in obedience to God's law and you want God to bring your actions into harmony with God's word. If you haven't been obeying God's laws, in particular the Sabbath for tonight's topic, chapter 13, but any of them, then a moment when we pray, Surrender that to the Lord. Accept his sacrifice in your behalf. Accept the Messiah's death for the forgiveness and the cleansing. And accept the power of the Holy Spirit to bring your actions in harmony with the theology of God's word. Third, if the issue has been a heart issue, maybe you know the Sabbath is right, and maybe you're keeping the Sabbath holy outwardly, like Paul, or like the Pharisees, but not enjoying it. It's not a joy. It's not a delight. You're not riding on the high hills. You're not feeding on the inheritance of Jacob. But it seems like a burden to you. You can't wait till it's over. You're counting the minutes. Thinking of other things. Your mind is wandering to other things on the Sabbath day. And your heart is not in it and it's not a joy to you. Then that's because we're trying to obey it in our own strength because it's a gift from God. He has given it to us. And he doesn't give us bad gifts. And so he's given us this blessing. It was the marriage, Adam and Eve, it was their, their marriage gift, the gift to them, the day off, the first day off together, their honeymoon together. It's God's gift to us. It's God's blessing to us. And so we've been trying to obey in our own strength, trying to sanctify ourselves in our own strength, and it's been a drudgery. Maybe one time it was a joy, and now it's become a drudgery. Then just confess that, Lord, I'm sorry, I confess that I've been trying to do this in my own strength. And I want you to write your laws in my heart, in my mind, and on my hands. Seal me with your Holy Spirit and bring me into harmony with you. And compel me 
transform me, create in me a new heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. Fourth, if you want to be a repairer of the breach, you've been in harmony, mind, hand, and heart, and you want to serve God in sealing up the broken walls for other people, in being an outward sign, in being a demonstration of the Lord's goodness and his grace, and telling other people about God's day off, about God's blessing that he has for them, on God's rest that they can enter into. And in a moment when we pray, ask God to make your life a living demonstration of that obedience and that harmony in word and in deed. And may God go before you and witness for you and prepare their hearts and minds to receive and accept. First, him and his sacrifice, justification, and then secondly, obedience and sanctification, including in God's Sabbath. And so if you want to be a repairer of the breach, a restorer of the foundations, in a moment when we pray that God do that in your life. If any of those areas apply to you or maybe some other area that God's been speaking to your heart and mind about, and let God do his work. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we're thankful for your great love for us. And I am so thankful that you have chosen to spend time with us. So thankful that you created a day so that we can have time with you on a weekly basis. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. That you gave us your son. Thank you, Yeshua, for being the sacrifice for us. Thank you that you're arisen, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us the power to walk in obedience with you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit. Make your Sabbath a delight in our lives. Make all your laws a delight in our lives. Give us the ability to walk in them so smoothly and so seamlessly that we don't even need the letters of the law, that we're just walking in the letter and in the spirit of your light and entering into true rest without worries, without cares, without fretting, without physical burdens, without spiritual burdens, without emotional burdens, entering into your rest. And make us a shining light. Make us a living testimony. Use us in sealing the holes in the theology out there and bringing harmony to the whole word of God and restoring your Sabbath to its rightful place in our lives, and in other people's lives as well. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.